When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Transfer Window with me, Henry McRae, and Henry's little helpers, Ian McGarry and Duncan Castles. I sent my letter off to Santa a couple of weeks ago, and all I asked for was world peace and a rare bottle of single malt Rora whiskey made in 1973. If Santa doesn't get me that, then perhaps several thousand of you could club together and buy me one for Hogmanay. Thanks, I really would be most grateful. We've got a few surprise guests this week as some of the biggest football managers in the world read out their own letters to Santa. Yep, the real one's honest. So let us start with Herr Klaus himself, Jurgen Klopp. Welcome. Tell us, Mr. Liverpool manager, what would you really want this Christmas? <laughs> Dear Santa, what do you think uh, that I want for Christmas? Well, if you know so much about Christmas, uh, you know that uh, you should write this letter yourself. But uh, <laughs> last year I asked for a new bike with uh, a shiny little bell and uh, because people kept telling me, on your bike. <laughs> but all I got was a swing ball set and obviously my opinion, it doesn't matter. Well, I can stop this letter now because I only want to write to, to people uh, who have a little bit of understanding <laughs> about Christmas. Still, there are bigger catastrophes on this planet than a swing ball set. <laughs> Sorry for all the rest I said before. Jürgen. Indeed, you should be Jürgen. Um, well, that's very insightful. <laughs> what, what, you didn't realise he wanted a bike with a shiny little bell? I had no idea he was so keen in cycling. Um, however... <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think he has got greater needs, Ian? Is that what you're trying to say? I think he should be um, praying for a bit more support, uh, well, as in uh, lengthened support in his job, because I think we would agree uh, that if he doesn't win a trophy this season, then his position is going to be reviewed by um, the owners at Liverpool, uh, because he, quite frankly, has underachieved uh, in the time he's been and the money he's spent. I don't think I've ever seen a player so listless or even, you know, less than happy to score a goal as Felipe Coutinho was in midweek, uh, having scored a, a brilliant strike. And yet the celebration was so underwhelming as almost to be, you think it was, uh, you know, the, the day after Christmas that he'd find it get no presents. So um, there's clearly a player who still has a problem, still wants to go to Barcelona. Barcelona still want him. I, I don't think that'll happen in January. Um, I think Klopp will get his wish to keep him at the end of the season and indeed the signing of Naby Keita. Um, to come next summer is specifically designed to replace Coutinho. Although, although they did ask if they could get Keita early uh, in January, just in case they could get uh, Coutinho out and sold. But uh, we're told no, that Keita will stay in Germany until the end of the season and, in, uh, and then he will move to Liverpool. So um, as far as Jürgen um, is concerned, I'd say he should start thinking less about his grifter and more about a defender. Um, in January, because uh, that's something which still hasn't been addressed. I think, from, from what I understand, he yeah, wants he Thomas. 
he wants Thomas Lamar this year. That's the that's the deal that, that Liverpool have been working hard on to convince Lamar um, to come to Liverpool as Coutinho's replacement. Whether Coutinho, I'm with Ian on this, whether Coutinho will actually leave now is, is another matter because Barcelona's interest in the player isn't as strong as it was in the summer. Uh, they made it clear they don't want to spend the same amount of money on him, which isn't a surprise given that they've just handed Messi the, the biggest contract ever in football and had to give him a huge signing on fee on top, which they didn't expect to. And they're, um, and they're about to lose Javier Mascarano to China, which means they've got to buy a, a, a centre-back in, in January as well. So the resources are a bit limited. Um, I did a piece this week saying they didn't want to go above 100 million euros including uh, bonuses, uh, performance-related bonuses for Coutinho. But Liverpool are still asking for €140 million Euros for him. So there's, a, there's an impasse there, and I think there's a concern on Coutinho's side that his chance to get to Barcelona, which he desperately wanted in the summer, he did almost everything possible beyond actually explicitly saying, doing a press conference to say that the club were messing him around and wouldn't let him leave. He did went all the way down the line. It didn't happen. He still wants to go. The fear there on his side is perhaps this isn't going to happen now. Perhaps my, my chance to move from Liverpool to Barcelona is gone. And with all the, um, not even speculation, it's clearly uh, has been negotiations between Antoine Griezmann's representatives and Barcelona executives with regard to move next summer, you would say, well, with the players, with Messi still being very much uh, one of the main men and Suarez clearly still in his prime, then Coutinho or uh, or Antoine Griezmann would be the third point of that revised trident. Um, so Griezmann, I'd say, is a more of a goal scorer, obviously, than Coutinho. Coutinho could have placed in the S, and I think that indeed was Barcelona's overall longer-term plan. But um, I agree with Duncan that the, the, at the current uh, buying price Liverpool asking for, Barcelona won't bite. Um, and in, in, in that being the case, I think Coutinho is a very worried man with regards to his dream of playing at Barcelona. Um, and a lot of clubs have experience um, of how players respond badly when they don't get what they want in terms of a transfer. They sulk, they go on strike, or they just simply don't turn up, whether that's even on the, on the pitch or not. Um, and I think that could be very, very damaging for uh, Liverpool's chances of not just winning a trophy, but getting in the top four uh, to play Champions League next season. Which leads me back to my original point that Jurgen Klopp is the one who will ultimately pay the price for failure. And um, obviously you're never allowed to criticise Liverpool fans because they're the greatest in the world and we all know that. But I think there's an element of Liverpool support who are beginning just to see through Klopp a little bit. See through the laughing and the joking and the, the new bike. Um, you know, he... He needs to, he needs to really turn it on the pitch. A lot of what is going on at Liverpool FC is being masked by the high-scoring games that they've had and the fact they've got um, the Fab Four uh, attacking up front, which is brilliant. But you know, it doesn't matter if you score four goals if you concede five. So um, that's why I think uh, uh, Herr Klopp uh, will uh, need to get himself uh, at least one or two defenders in the January window if they're going to be able to uh, mount a serious. Uh, charge for either um, the top four or indeed one of the trophies that they're left uh, at, the, at their um, ability to, to win. Thomas Lamar, of course, was um, linked heavily with 
a couple of other Premiership clubs in the summer, specifically Arsenal and Manchester United, is Liverpool get a free run at them if they if they wanted to in January, or do you think those other two would be back in if Lamar's available? No, they definitely don't have a free run. Um, Lamar's still a player that Manchester United are very interested in um, for that left wing position or the, the winger, left footed winger that they, they that Mourinho def, desperately wants to add to the squad to add to his tactical dimensions. But he's very expensive. Um, the Arsenal, Arsenal's bid was 90 plus 5, I think, in the end. 95 million euros for Lamar, the one that Monaco accepted. And Mourinho's working with a transfer budget in the region of 90 million euros for January. So there you go. It would all disappear on one player if he couldn't move guys out for significant sums. Uh, and he's looking at Alexandro at left back, who's going to be probably 60 million euros if they can manage to negotiate the price down. So, so Lamar is, is the expensive option for them. Um, a much more reasonable option and a, a younger player uh, is Malcolm at uh, Bordeaux, um, who is probably more direct, quicker, um, more likely to score goals from range, um, but cheaper, considerably cheaper than Lamar. In terms of other clubs are interested, Arsenal are interested again. But what I'm hearing from the Monaco end is that Lamar is as unconvinced about going to Arsenal now as he was in the summer when he turned them down after Arsenal had kind of gazumped uh, Liverpool's offer for the player. Um, and and put and had a, had a bit accepted, so yeah, it's a, that that one's a very fluid situation in that at least those three clubs still want Lamar. There's a possibility of others coming in for him because he's probably the 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 highest regarded winger in football at the moment, and Monaco will sell for the right money. I mean, to be fair, Duncan, if it's creativity, goals and leadership that Josie's looking for, maybe she should just buy Wayne Rooney. Yeah, and play him in the middle of midfield next to Zlatan. Hey! hey. He played very well in the middle of midfield. So yes, indeed, indeed. I, and you know, if, if Josie had listened to me then, Manchester United would have lost that game. <laughs> so. Okay, well, um, Klopp under pressure, obviously, and uh, for, a, for a couple of reasons, but uh, not least because, you know, his predecessor, uh, Brendan Rodgers, came within a slip, famously, of actually winning the title, and Klopp's record is certainly inferior to Brendan's, who is now, as we know, up in the north of the border at Celtic. And uh, Brendan has, I'm delighted to say, has joined us today to read out his own uh, letter to Santa. Uh, dearest, dearest Santa, you should be very, very proud, and very proud indeed of the way you handle your reindeer. You should be very proud of the way that you lined them up in front of your sleigh in the Christmas tree formation. Santa, I don't need anything special for, for Christmas. Because when you're Celtic manager, every day is Christmas. And of course, Rangers are the gift that keeps on giving. So, Ian, um, <laughs> Ian a, a club close to your own heart, as I know. Um, Indeed. Brendan, uh, we don't normally talk about Scottish football so often on this podcast, but... Um, you know, there is one story that, uh, apart from around Rogers and his own future eventually, but um, we do have Musa Dembele, who's been linked, uh, certainly in the Scottish press, where almost every major club in Europe. Um, can we see some movement with Dembele 
uh, in January? Do we, do we think he's likely to move? Um, well, first of all, I think Brad already got an early Christmas present when they lost uh, at Hearts last week because that unbeaten run, I think, I, I looked at Celtic player the last few games and I thought they were, they were that was a burden that was becoming too heavy for the team to bear. And um, they didn't just lose it by a last-minute goal or a disputed penalty. They were well and truly turned over at Tynecastle. So... And I, I do believe that Brendan is, is relieved at the fact that that's now gone and that his players uh, so can play with a bit more freedom without the pressure of every game being another one of the run, et cetera, et cetera, because it's an, a tremendous achievement. And, and I, I doubt, in fact, I'm sure it will never be bettered. Um, so Brendan's spoken, written in, in, Spoken in, like a true fan, of course. At 4 uh, humping was absolutely just what we needed. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I, 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 slipped, I slipped into Pravda mode there, didn't I? I didn't even notice. Just, just Ian, Dr. Ian Magari, Ian Magari's letter to Santa. Dear Santa, I'd love Celtic to get humped 4-0 by Hearts. Yeah, I must admit, I'd prefer, I'd prefer not to have been Hearts, but anyway, it was, so there we go. Musa Dembele, um, I think, well, I know from information and um, from hearing um, different um, views on Dembele, um, I'm convinced that Celtic will sell in January if they can. I think the reason for that is that Dembele is not the same hot property as he was this time last year, or indeed uh, this time six months ago in the summer, when clubs were offering in excess of £20 million for him and there was a queue. Uh, I think that's because the player himself has obviously suffered some minor injuries and his, his form has tailed off, his goals have tailed off a bit. And I think Celtic are making a business decision to market the player in this January window um, in the hope that they can get, uh, and I, I, I'm told it's around 26, 27 million that they're looking for from Mr Dembele. Um, I don't think there's any takers at that, at that cost yet. Um, there's certainly interest from um, uh, lower um, half Premier League clubs um, who uh, have talent and potential like Mr Dembele um, would be appealing to at that price. Um, West Ham have an interest in him. Everton have an interest in him, and um, it's and probably some some others as well. Uh, you know, the, the strikers, especially in the January window, are very very difficult to buy. Problem is that Dembele's never proven himself in the Premier League, so even at twenty twenty five million pounds, you are taking a bit of a punt on a player who uh, you know did well at Fulham but has been banging around for fun in the in the Premiership in Scotland. That's no disrespect to the level in, in Scotland at all. I, I don't believe um, all of the cynical remarks and that are made about well, there's marks at Scotland and Henrik Larson's one of the finest players ever ever play football and most of his career was spent with Celtic. Went on to play for Manchester United in Barcelona and indeed won the Champions League. So uh, I'm not saying Dembele's anything like Henrik Larson. In fact, if he was, he'd be costing about 150 million. I think Celtic's problem is that they, they don't, they want to sell for a premium price um, because selling them at say, £15 million just for the sake of it, probably doesn't replace him in the team. Um, they want to make money from him. I think they think they're uh, they're kind of fairly well sorted for strikers for the rest of the season. Um, and so Dembele would be worth selling. I think the problem is, is first of all, finding the club are willing to pay the price they want. Um, and second, the fact, as I said, that Dembele himself would, would be a risk for any club uh, in the Premier League. Yeah, my understanding in Dembele is that they... Celtic don't actively want to sell in this window, but they're prepared to sell if they get that right offer. I think you're absolutely right, Ian, that they they want to sell at a premium. 
um, they also would like to sell him to a high-ranking club. The, the higher up the Premier League or if they can get to a, a big club in, in France, Monaco, for example, or Spain, even Bundesliga, also possibility is good for them because they can use that as a sales point for players coming in in the future. They can say, we take you from European League or from, as they did with Dembele, sort of a, a lower tier um, English club, we put you in the shop window, we give you games, you get Champions League football. If you succeed here by a bigger club, um, we, we won't stand in your way as long as the money's right for us. And, and they see it as a sort of part of a conveyor belt process. You know, they've done it with Wanyama in the past. Um, and they see this as a, the next player to work that way. They're going to make a profit regardless because they got him for such a cheap um, price from Fulham. He is of a lot of interest to clubs in England, um, mainly because everyone's got so much money to spend now. So although 20 million, 25 million in particular is, seems you know a high fee for a for a young striker, that's kind of within the, the, the level that any Premier League club can afford to spend at the moment on, on a centre forward. And the ones who are, particularly the ones who are worried about their survival, are ready to take that kind of gamble in January. He also has a, an advantage in that he's homegrown from having been at Fulham um, for enough years to qualify as homegrown for uh, UEFA purposes and Premier League purposes. So that's another attraction. Club. So I think what I understand is he's going to be quite careful about where, where he chooses to go. Um, he doesn't just want to be shifted to uh, the club that makes the biggest offer to Celtic. He's going to be fussy about his move. Um, his The people around him have been very careful about looking at the long-term um, aspect of his career, and that was one of the reasons he went to, to Celtic in the first place, and they continue to see it that way. So he won't necessarily go just because Celtic get the right offer. He will assess it and see if it suits his career. Maybe it would be better for him to move in the summer, but for sure we're going to get a January window where there's going to be a lot of discussion about offers made for Dembele and whether he'll leave Celtic or not. Okay, um, let's head back uh, south. Big result last night in the, uh, was it the Caribou? <laughs> the Caribou Cup. Um, something with antlers. Something with antlers. Let's call it the League Cup. Manchester United um, were uh, knocked out by um, Bristol City and um, you know, the, the manager has taken time out of his schedule to, to join us. He, he probably needs um, some significant gifts, uh, judging by the result last night. So let's find out what he wants for Christmas. Uh, dear Santa, what I want is a journalist who really believes in me, who sees things from my point of view, who always tweets about how amazing I am, how I am the best. I don't want a normal journalist. How about a special one? Like me? Do you know one? Duncan, do you know one? <laughs> some some people really do want the impossible, don't they? I know. <laughs> Where would he find someone like that? <laughs> I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't think you can find someone like that, do you? Yeah. I Very think it's impossible. Very difficult. Very, I, I'd it, say that is the impossible job, that one. And, <laughs> In the absence of the ideal candidate, perhaps you could step up 
and tell us what you think Josie really wants for Christmas. What does he really want for Christmas? He wants a lot of uh, a lot of work on on the squad. Um, he wants a change in attitude from the club. I think I think he feels that uh, Manchester United's board are happy to be back in the Champions League and to be competing for the title, but not committed enough to put all their efforts into actually winning the title in a in a period in which Manchester City have spent more on wages, more on their squads than um, than any football club ever has. So yeah, he's got pretty big demands for um, for Christmas and for the years coming down the line. And it's uh, unless those demands are met, which is still questionable, it's going to be a story ongoing um, for the rest of this season. And we'll see what happens next season. I think that defeat um, on Wednesday night at Bristol City is it, look, yes, Manchester should have won the amount of chances they had, the the, the saves and the uh, you know the pressure, possession, and everything else. Nine times out of ten, they'd have won that game. But the one the one time out of ten that the little guy wins, um, and I think Lee Johnson deserves a lot of credit for the fact that well, he didn't uh, do what everyone normally does, and Josie complains about part of the bus. He had his team play aggressively. They had a high press. Um, he, he told them to go and express themselves, take the game to Manchester United. And that surprised Manchester United. And in a lot of ways, if more teams come out and did that to Manchester City, then I think they wouldn't be on this unbeaten run that they're on because people, I think, are paying far too much respect to Manchester City with regards to the way they play against them. And that plays right into Manchester City's hands. And so... And I think this is something which annoys Mourinho as well. I think he said it in the past that, you know, people don't come out and play against them. They just try and park the bus and it's, it's easy when you've got players of the talent of Sani and, um, and Silva and Jesus and De Bruyne uh, and Sterling to just simply pick your way through that. OK, they had a couple of little blips against Huddersfield Town uh, noticeably and Southampton um, where they needed to you know, score uh, having been a goal down. Sorry, West Ham it was, having been a goal down. Um, but... There they are, 15 games, 15 in a row. And um, I think I agree with Duncan that uh, United at this moment in time are, I think, a year or 18 months behind Manchester City in terms of their squad structure, their squad personnel, uh, and the way that 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 structure operates and works on the field. Um, And that's why Mourinho's a winner. You know, whatever he wants as a journalist, Mourinho is a winner. And he, he hates the fact that he's not top of the league, hates the fact he's out of the League Cup, hates the fact that he doesn't really believe he's got a squad capable of winning the Champions League or the Premier League. And from and at Manchester United, he believes that that should be a given. That Manchester should always be competing. And if you go back to Sir Alex Ferguson's time at the club, um, that's something he always said. He said famously, every after the end of every season, and they'd won another Premier League title, uh, etc., or another FA Cup, or even the Champions League on two occasions, Next day, he would say, right, next year, rip it up, we start again. And that's what Mourinho's same philosophy. But unfortunately, he's not winning as many trophies and he's not getting the opportunity to even contest realistically the biggest ones because Ed Woodward and the Manchester United board, especially the Glazers, don't appear to be willing to back him in the transfer market. Yeah, okay, you could say, well... (laughs) I mean, I mean to the extent... Sorry, sorry, excuse me, I'll put that in context. They're not prepared to back him the way that um, Pep Guardiola's been backed. And, and you know, Guardiola's got 
player, two players in every position who are equally as good apart from left back at the moment because of injuries. Now, Mourinho doesn't have that. I think he's made a mistake with Mkhitaryan, which he's now is admitted, and Mkhitaryan well, let, might, might be moved out. His, let's look at his signings. I mean, Mkhitaryan were calling a failure, but wh- how would you describe Romelu Lukaku at the moment? I'd say he's one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Really? Yeah, I would do. Yeah, he had he had what I've run of games where he didn't score. All strikers have that. In fact, Michael Owen, who is often you know revered as England's greatest ever striker or one of them, look at his career. He has goal spikes. He has runs of weeks where he scores maybe ten goals in as many games or or, or you know eight games, and then he's quiet for four or five games and doesn't score. And then he goes, he still ends up with over twenty goals a season. I think Lukaku is like that as well. How would you compare Michael Owen as a footballer with Romelu Lukaku? I think Lukaku's a better player than Michael Owen was. Really? Yeah, I do. Do you agree, Duncan? They're, they're completely different footballers, aren't they? I mean, but Owen, Owen, was one Owen, trick, Owen was a one-trick pony. I mean, he lost his pace. That was it. He couldn't play anymore. He couldn't play as effectively anymore. Lukaku's got more to his game than that. He's got power. He's got two good feet. Um, he reads the game. He needs to be coached on his reading of the game. I think his reading of the game isn't complete. But he reads the game well enough that when he's playing with the right people behind him, he finds a space to get in behind and gets the one-on-ones. The thing that Manchester United are lacking with um, Romelu Lukaku at the moment is they're not playing direct enough to him with regards to balls in the channels or around the corner to set him one-on-one. No one seems to be able to play that ball to him. the way that, that That's how most of his goals at Everton was being played in. I think if you look at Lukaku in the round of this season, which is what you've got to do to be fair to the guy, He's definitely improved as a footballer. His his contribution to the team is much greater than it ever was at Everton or his previous clubs or for Belgium. He's now he's now thinking about what he has to do to create goals for the team. He's he's working as a hold up player. His passing uh, to teammates is much better. He gets caught offside far less often. He doesn't just take the ball and try and score a goal. And he scored heavily at the start of the season. He had a bad run and he started to score again. He had an awful game against Manchester City. Yeah, terrible match. And I think part of his problem is he he gets very emotionally involved in his football. From the people I I know who know him well, they say he has this real drive to prove himself to be an absolute top striker. And that, that explains why he's responded so well to going to Manchester United this season and has proved, improved his game so quickly because he's actually listening and doing what the manager wants. But you also have the drawback when he, he hit a dry run of, of goals, it probably affected him mentally more than it would other strikers. And most strikers struggle when they're, when, when they're not scoring. Um, in terms of you compare the teams and, and where they are, you know, just for example, look at Manchester City's defence. You know, we, we know Guardiola went into the summer saying, I want full-backs improved, I want goalkeeper improved, I need that to play the kind of football I want to play. And he was absolutely right, he's been proved it. Their football has changed massively because they now have a goalkeeper who can play the ball from the back, who's confident with the ball at his feet, and they have two full, full-backs pitch and have the energy to um, press and counter-press an attack in the way he wants them to do to get his his high possession football working properly. But you go through their defensive options, they've got the second most expensive goalkeeper by transfer fee ever. They've got the most expensive right back ever by transfer fee, most expensive left back ever by transfer fee, the most expensive centre back 
and two more who are in the top in, in the top four most expensive centre backs by transfer fee ever. That's just the defence. He bought Bernardo Silva for seventy five million euros, who's who's a backup for him at the moment. But the squad, people say that equivalent amounts have been spent on those squads since Mourinho and Guardiola came in. It's not true. More money has been spent. The numbers are there. Significantly more money has been spent on transfer fees by Manchester City. They pay higher wages, particularly with bonuses thrown in. And that's that's the concern. And we saw Antonio Conte speaking about it this week very explicitly. An unusual thing for a Premier League manager to say. The rest of the Premier League has to pay attention if City are going to try and, and sign Virgil van Dijk, which would, if they get van Dijk for the money... Southampton want for him, he would then become the most expensive centre-back by transfer fee ever, by a significant margin, another one. If they get Van Dijk, we, we've got to pay attention, the rest of the league, to stop that from happening, because they're going to go so far ahead of us, we won't be able to compete. When, when have you ever heard the Premier League manager in a press conference say something like that? Especially the Chelsea manager, Duncan, as well. Yeah, I don't remember Chelsea complaining when people couldn't compete with their finances. In fact, the irony is not lost on me of the Manchester United fans, best in the world, by the way, same as Liverpool, um, who were singing, rejoicing in Lukaku's scoring form at the beginning of the season so much that they had to be told not to sing a certain song about him, and now the ones bleating and squealing about how he's not very good. But there was plenty of criticism about Lukaku when he was signed. I mean, it's, it was, he wasn't exactly greeted as the second coming, you know. It, well, it changed very quickly when he scored 10 goals in his first 10 games. Well, I think, you know, from, uh, from this viewpoint... You know, he came, people thought he would score goals against the, I hate to say lesser teams, but teams further down the table and then struggle against the higher-up teams. And that seems to be how it's played out. Well, yeah, well halfway through the season. Halfway through the season, Henry. I, I, don't think, I don't think he's the, anyway, we shouldn't get bogged down on Lukaku because, um, you know, the question is how many of Mourinho's signings have got, a, you know, a full positive review and you know I'm not sure you could say Pogba's uh, all positive you know he a player uh, his reputation um, should be dominating a game like last night and you know he just didn't I mean there's a lot of the time Pogba's supposed to missing in the centre midfield can, and... can, can I just point out that Paul Pogba spent three years at his previous three years at Juventus playing on the left side of a three-man midfield and winning the league every, every year. Paul Pogba, at the age of 21, 22, has had to actually retrain himself to be a central midfielder in a tour of a completely different system. And he's only six months in, and he's missed quite a few games through injury, and then three through suspension. So are we saying that a guy of his age, and, and this saying, is again... I'm, no, we're I'm, saying that there's not fully positive reviews on Pogba. You know, you'd, you'd expect Pogba to have a big impact on a game like last night. That's what I'm yeah, and, okay, and I and I and I would re reply by saying, give him a chance. Paul Pogba, if he continues to develop in terms of his football, if he continues to be coached properly, will be one of the best midfielders in the world in, in the next year or two. He's not the finished article yet. As I said, he's, he's had to change position the way he plays. That's not his fault. He was bought to play as a central midfielder. And that's fine, and he's done, I think, pretty well in the in most of the games he's played. I'm not saying he's brilliant or he's, you know, he's bossed a game or whatever. Just saying he's done pretty well. I think these price tags, Lukaku and Pogba's, um, make fans, media, club, expect, etc., expect more than what they are. But these are young guys who are nowhere near the peak of their, 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 their uh, talent, nor the, in the, the, the uh, 
peak of their career. I just think, I think when you've got a when you've got a senior figure player, ex-manager on Sky with a Scottish accent, who and central midfielder who went ex Liverpool. Uh, you didn't say ex Liverpool, did you? Ex Liverpool. Build up to the Manchester derby, I actually thought United were being done a favour by the fact that Pogba was not available for selection. Well, well seen, there you go. There you go. That's one of the most ridiculous statements you'll have heard this season. Who was who was the guy who was most influential on Manchester United winning three one at Arsenal? Who was the outstanding player on the pitch for Manchester United? Paul Pogba. And who was the player they missed in the Manchester derby because they didn't have his range of passing? He was the ideal player to have against Man City because he's the player who can hit long diagonal balls exactly where you want them over their press to create chances for your striker on the counter-attack, which was, which was the strategy that United were playing that day. He, he is, as Ian says, he's a young player, and one of the reasons they spent so much money on him was because of the long-term development potential. They saw him as a player who could be a symbol of the club for the next decade, because he had that amount of years left, potentially left in him as a, as a Premier League and Champions League player. So there is a development aspect to him. Just because you buy a player for what was a world record fee doesn't mean he's the finished article. Kylian Mbappe isn't the finished article because uh, Paris Saint-Germain paid 180 million euros for him last summer, which, by the way, is significantly more than Paul Pogba's cost. So take it in the round and, OK, Manchester United lose to Bristol City. It's embarrassing for them. They shouldn't, they shouldn't lose a match like that. Uh, for any neutral observer. Um, they really shouldn't have lost the game in terms of the way the game went, but they did because Bristol City played aggressively, as Ian, Ian points out. They were more focused on the game and they scored one sensational goal and took another goal right at the end, so they deserved to go through. But to say that Paul Pogba isn't um, a good enough player for Manchester United because a team, a Manchester United team which started with 10 changes in it lost Bristol City in a League Cup tie um, really has taken it a bit too far. You've got to, you've got to I don't think anyone said that. No, no, no one said that. We got pretty close to it. <laughs> no, Henry, no, Henry. no one even got remotely close to saying that Paul Pogba isn't good enough for Man United because he got beat. Because okay, Henry, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer your question. I love the fact that Grimson is very forthright. I think his commentary is refreshing for that reason. Um, and, you know, one of the greatest... Uh, moments in TV commentary of recent years was when he simply said that when Carlos Tevez refused to come on against Bayern Munich for Manchester City, he said he would just run him right out of the club there and then. And that was like a disgrace, not only to for Manchester City, but to his profession. However, I've seen Sunas taken to task in several platforms uh, about his um, opinions on Paul Pogba, which are not backed up by any statistics. In fact, the opposite. Sunas says things about Pogba, and then someone can produce a set of statistics about his past completion rate, his um, ball recycling, uh, his tackling, um, et cetera, et cetera, even his goals per minute. And they contradict Suna. Suna seems to have a little bit of a vendetta for Pogba. Not sure why, and uh, I, you know, I'd love to ask him, but no one seems to take him to task on air about it. Uh, and I'm surprised by that because there's other good pundits in the studio with him. Um, and I think you know, that's something which would be interesting. I would like someone uh, to, like Gary Neville, for instance, to say as soon as, OK, Graham, tell us exactly what it is about you and Paul Pogba because a lot of people would like to know. Okay. Well, here's a statistic for you. Josie, you asked for 
a journalist who always, always sees things your way, look, we got you too. Moving on. Hey! <laughs> um, Josie was replaced, of course, by Antonio Conte at Chelsea. And uh, he's uh, now, um, now that Josie's gone, it's, it's safe to come in, Antonio, and you, and you come. And uh, he's, uh, he's about to read out his letter to Santa Claus. Uh, dear uh, Mr. Bram, uh, sorry, dear Santa, uh, I know send you another letter uh, because I sent you one uh, back in the summer and uh, you do not get anything I wanted. Uh, I hear uh, Carlo Antelotti uh, already uh, sent Santa a letter asking for his old job back. Uh, you can tell Carlo that he can have it because I want a one-way ticket to go back to Italy. Buono Natale, Antonio. Antonio Conte oh, wants, wants a one-way ticket back to to Italy. Do we think that's true? I'm not sure he does, Henry. I don't, I'm not sure he does. I think he wants a Real Madrid job. I think um, we will see this Saturday morning um, when Barcelona take the field against Real Madrid. Um, 11 points behind, uh, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, in the La Liga um, title race. Fourth position. If Barcelona turn over Real Madrid... Pressure will be massive on Zinedine Zidane. And now, don't get me wrong, Florentino Perez, the last thing he wants to do is sack what is a complete an absolute icon of his famous club. And I think a sacking will not, will not take place. It will simply be a word in his ear saying, it's time to go, Zinedine, because the players are not responding to you or uh, the training isn't good enough or whatever the reasons are behind that misfiring squad. And I think Conte is... Uh, is desperate to get that job I think um, he's admired by Florentino Perez what he did in one season in his first season at Chelsea was uh, was very impressive but without Champions League football but as well documented on the transfer window he's not got his way in terms of transfers I'm not sure that that'll be any different at Real Madrid but he you know he, I think he Spain or Germany would be his preferred choice because uh, the Italian league right now is nowhere near as strong um, as it was some in the 1990s, for instance, or early 2000s, when, when Serie A was a place to be. And, um, and that means, as well, lower um, uh, uh, the, the commercial aspect of the game there is also lesser. The TV contracts are lesser. Uh, and the wages, quite frankly, at Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund, and certainly Real Madrid, would be between two and three times more um, at uh, most clubs in Italy, maybe uh, discounting Inter Milan. However, uh, I I think, Duncan, you agree that we don't think Conte will certainly be at Chelsea next season. Yeah, I, I, as we've said many times, Conte's plan is that he leaves the club at the end of the season if he, if he survives that long. It looks like he will survive that long because he's managed to, to turn results right around there to a level that's acceptable to the club. And they, they, as we mentioned the other week, they've got a reasonable chance in the in the Champions League as well, given the mainly given the way he sets teams up um, in a style which is is this opportunity to beat any opponent um, with their counter-attack and the quality of their defence. I wouldn't make, make them favourites for it, but they, they have a possibility. The thing with Conte is he, he wants to win the Champions League. That's his primary obsession as a manager. He wants to prove himself a Champions League winning manager. And I think you're absolutely right. The Real Madrid job is very appealing to him because that is probably the best opportunity to win the, the Champions League as a manager. Um, I agree with you in Italy. 
the, he would move back to Italy if other options aren't available to him, but it's not ideal. Obviously, the strongest club there is Juventus. He left Juventus with a, a lot of friction um, between him and the board. Um, strange similarity there to Chelsea. Um, his agent has been trying to push him forward as a candidate for Paris Saint-Germain. So um, he'd also take that job again, another um, good opportunity to try and win the Champions League, but he's not first choice by any stretch of the imagination there. The is that he goes back to coach Italy. Um, and that one will take a while to pan out because the Italian Federation is a, is a mess after they fail to qualify for the World Cup. There are elections going on to change basically the entire structure. Of the, of the Italian Federation. There is a possibility that when they do that, they, need, they obviously need a strong Euro, European Championship campaign. There's a possibility that they go back to Conte as manager as the best um, native option to do the job. And there's an appeal there in that Conte sees that the Federation will be in such desperate situation that they would allow him a huge amount of control over the structure of the national team. Um, and that is probably the strongest possibility of him going back to Italy, if he can get himself a situation where he goes to the Italian Federation with the Italian Federation and letting him do what he wants. But it will be several months before that, um, whether that's a realistic possibility or not becomes clear. Okay. Um... Run a bit this time, uh, we would probably try and get Pep in, but um, we couldn't find anyone who could do his answer. Sorry, he, he couldn't make it. Um, so instead, we've uh, asked the Arsenal manager, Arsene Wenger, to, to join us. Uh, welcome, Arsene. The dear Santa, uh, I would like it for Christmas. Uh, yes, I had it, but uh, unfortunately, uh, everyone now seems to think I have lost it. I cannot find it anywhere, but apparently you cannot buy it, uh, nor you can teach it. Mm, I am not even sure what it even is anymore. Au revoir, Arsene. <laughs> I tell you, no. I, 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 you have to give credit to Arsene for the fact that he, he, he's locating it, I, he's lost it. You know, the whole presence and absence thing. Um, well... You know, where do you even start with Arsenal uh, in these last, just in the last five months, never mind this calendar year? Um, I'll say this that, you know, the, the, the soundings coming from Alexis Sanchez camp um, strongly suggest that um, he believes he may be allowed to leave in the January window. Um, I think um, that Pep Guardiola would not have, um, would not have said, been so, uh, let's just say, less than. Um, uh, sensitive or uh, about when asked a question, would would Alexis join in January? Um, he had a laugh about it, he had a joke about it, and he said he, he couldn't answer the question. Now, that's in direct contrast to what Wenger said only a month ago. Sanchez Nuzzo wouldn't definitely, definitely not leave in January. Um, and I can add a little bit of um, fuel to that fire um, because I know for a fact that Arsenal have put um, the feelers out on three different potential replacements for uh, Sanchez in the January in the January window. Um, albeit, I'd say there maybe one is realistic, the other two are unrealistic in terms of moving in the January window. But the fact that they are actively looking to recruit 
um, which is a time when Wenger really buys, really buys in the January window, um, suggests to me that they are seriously considering cashing in on Sanchez in January rather than allowing him to leave for free in the summer. And um, I also uh, understand that personal terms between um, Sanchez's representatives for the player and Manchester City have been agreed um, and the player is very happy with that. And I think it's not it's not unfair to say that Sanchez saw himself already in, in a sky blue jersey um, in August uh, this year, uh, only to have that fall down by the Thomas Lamar transfer to Arsenal falling down. And I think he still sees himself in a sky blue jersey and, and that could well happen as early as two weeks from now. Yeah, I think we get mixed messages from Arsene Wenger almost every week. It's, 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 it's because he's lost. It's because he's lost it, Duncan. <laughs> That's why we're getting mixed messages. Lost it. He's lost his memory as well. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. So one week he says that they won't sell, and the next week he says that they might sell. And I think this week he said he's ninety percent sure the squad will remain the same, but that they're looking to see if there's. If there's, a, if there's a possibility they can improve the squad in January, I, I think it basically reflects that Arsene Wenger isn't actually in control of the transfer process there anymore because the club um, are preparing for the future without Arsene Wenger. So things are happening and decisions are being made above his head um, with the long-term uh, security of the club in mind. And anything could happen in terms of if they get the right offer from Manchester City, for example, for Alexis Sanchez and the ownership say, right, we're going to cash in now, then they'll do it because, let's face it, that's exactly what they did in the summer. The only reason that didn't happen was because Arsenal left their offer for Thomas Lamar too late um, and they hadn't convinced the player to come. So I think Wenger's in a, a difficult situation. Again, he's, he's not in control he spent most of his, his time at Arsenal being completely in control of that football club in a way that very few managers have ever been. He convinced them even to build a new stadium and then sacrificed a lot of his career, you could say, to, to get them through the difficult financial um, problems they had paying for that stadium. But now he's not the guy who decides everything at that club anymore. So he's left in press conferences saying one thing one week and one thing the other week and wait to see what the club decides to do. I think um, the people at the club took the, trans- the checkbook off of uh, Arsene um, after he offered £40 million and £1 for Luis Suarez. And probably in that one transaction or no- non-transaction, managed to lose possibly one of the most prolific strikers we've ever seen, <laughs> all for the sake of maybe another five or six mil. So uh, especially because Suarez wanted to leave at that time and join Arsenal. So um, if maybe we could pinpoint the where he lost it, it might have been that moment. Do we think this is Arsenal's last year sending letters to Santa on behalf of Arsenal? Well, given that we thought that in the summer and he signed a two-year extension, I, I, I genuinely believe that the reason Wenger's not been replaced is because the, the people who run the club don't know who it is they're going to replace him with. I know for a fact that they saw the mess that happened to Manchester United in the wake of Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement um, with Louis van Gaal and David Moyes, that they look at that and think, well, we cannot allow that to happen here. We must have a proper plan in place. Now, it's very much incumbent upon them and it's their responsibility. They've not had a plan in place before now. This, the decline in Arsenal Football Club has been happening for more than a decade in terms of winning the, the Premier League title or Champions League. They're not even seen as contenders um, annually anymore, even though People love to put them in that category, but you know they. When when did they last see us a challenge for the title? So 
until the management and owners of, of Arsenal have a clear plan and one that they believe is going to work, and that, by the way, there's no guarantee of that, as we saw as what happened at Manchester United, then Wenger will remain in charge. They're actually scared of what life without Wenger would be like more than they are of trying to succeed by replacing him. Okay, um, that's, uh, that's us for, for guests uh, today, but um, maybe we can do one final uh, quick fire round, he says quite slowly, um, before, before uh, we break for Christmas. So what I thought we could do is we'll, we'll do the, the full Premier League from top to bottom, and you can tell me, is Santa going to visit um, this year or not? So who wants to start with Pep Guardiola? I think he will visit. It'll be a left-back, probably um, uh, Ryan Bertrand from Southampton. They need cover, obviously, for the injured uh, Mendy. And um, and I think they will get he will get that because um, the way they're playing, who could say no to Pep Guardiola? Okay, Duncan, what about across the road at Old Trafford with Josie Mourinho and Manchester United? Yes, I think uh, I think Santo will be visiting there. He's, he's actively trying to sign someone in the January window, which is very unusual for him. So I would expect at least one player to come in. Back down to the bridge, Antonio Conte and Chelsea. Uh, well, if Chelsea sign a player in the January window, it won't be because Antonio Conte's asked for it, that's for sure. His Santa lists have long since... Uh, been redirected somewhere else uh, because they're not being looked upon by the hierarchy there. So if they sign a player, and I'd say it's unlikely, um, then it will be um, it will be the doing of the club and not not the manager. Okay, Duncan, Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. Yeah, look, Liverpool are trying to sign a player. As as I say, a lot of it might be dependent on whether Coutinho can be sold or not. Um, but yeah, I would say that the, the likelihood is that there will be arriving at, at Anfield during the during the January window. Arsene Wenger at Arsenal? I, I reckon only if they lose a player, Henry, will they buy. Uh, the squad's actually quite big um, and, and Wenger's been rotating that in the, the, the Long Antler Cup. Um, uh, so you can see that you know, with Champions League knockout coming up, um, I, don't, I don't think they believe they're going to win. got a chance of winning the Premier League. So I think they, he, he may prioritise Champions League uh, over the Premier League um, in, the, in the new year. Um, so unless Sanchez moves, who they will have to replace, and they are actively looking to, but that's that's an if and only. Right, that's the top five out of the way. We get a little more interesting now, and you know, unbelievably, in sixth spot we have Sean Dyche at Burnley. I don't know what Burnley are trying to do in the window, but I do know that Sean Dyche has um, been given huge support by the club to run it in the way he wants to run it. Um, it's one of the reasons he decided to stay when. Uh, when Crystal Palace tried to hire him um, earlier on this season. Um, so if he wants something, and now would be a good time to add to to a team that's doing exceptionally well in the Premier League, um, then I would expect him to get it. Okay, Ian. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, they, they do need to improve their squad. They've started to look tired these last few weeks. Um, They've slipped way off the, the pace in the title race. Problem is uh, that Daniel Levy's not not a big January shopper. Um, he obviously controls the purse strings. I think Pochettino would love to bring in two or three players. Um, 
in the January window, but I don't I don't see it happening. Um, I think what we'll see is what we normally see. There'll be a little bit of uh, dealing done near the end of the window, last minute things trying to get tied up at, at, at probably below market value prices, um, or certainly at market value prices. I think we've got to remember as well that in the January window, people normally buy um, if they are in danger of relegation or they have a long-term injury. It's 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 not the kind of the the, the whole dynamic of the window is not the same as the three months we have in the summer, um, and so not everyone sits down in November with their uh, board of directors and says right this is what I want in January because generally speaking board of directors especially um, below the top six are not interested in hearing those requests they want to just. Uh, get through the season as best they can, unless, as I said, they're staving off relegation or they've got a long-term injury in a key position. Okay, well, presumably what Sam Allardyce really wants is a time machine to take him back 10 years for a younger Wayne Rooney. But what do you think he wants for Christmas, Duncan? Have you have you knocked Leicester down the table then? I've, oh, no, I've got it wrong. I do apologise uh, um, most uh, prominently <laughs> to Leicester supporters. Goodness gracious me. Um and here's you sitting there preparing something to say on Leicester, and I throw you Sam Allardyce curved uh, curveball. Okay, go to Claude Puel and Leicester. I think uh, you can expect to see Leicester recruit because they've got a new manager in who hasn't had opportunity to recruit in the transfer market before and has done, obviously, a good job since he's come in. Um, Leicester haven't been reluctant to spend in previous windows. In fact, they've... They've tried to spend more money than they've been able to in several of the last few windows. So, yeah, I'd expect to see at least one player coming into Leicester in, in January. Right, Ian, guess who's next? Uh, yeah, I think supersized Sam, as he's now known for his heroics at Goodison Park. Uh, that we, he's, de- he, he's still definitely a striker. Calvert-Lewin's not a natural number nine. He's been playing really behind him. He's got uh, interest in two or three strikers, uh, mainly coming two in Spain, one in Germany coming. Uh, that, you know... But he won't be looking to spend a huge amount of money. I think, I think we'll maybe spend around twenty-five, thirty million. Uh, but Sam, as we know, he loves he loves to buy buy and sell a player. So uh, I think, yeah, I would say you could see two or three players coming in, but maybe a couple and one and one one purchase. Okay, Duncan, you're a big fan of Marco Silva at Watford. Yeah, well, look, Watford, Marco Silva won't have a huge say in, in transfers there for for a couple of reasons. One, the owners do it basically all themselves and two the owners know that he doesn't want to be at the club after the end of the season so partly because they're, they're the club that shift players more than any other club in the Premier League they made I think they made more transfers in the summer than anyone else I would expect to see some more changes at Watford in the January window but probably not huge number of changes because it's been a good season for them so far Ian David Wagner at Huddersfield yes uh, um <clears throat> Again, a striker's top priority, Henry, for Huddersfield. They had a dreadful run uh, of not scoring goals away in the Premier League. Um, the two strikers that they recruited in the summer have not been prolific. Uh, I think he might. There's a lot of talk about trying to get a loan deal for Danny Ings, but potentially, um, I think he will probably look to recruit with some of the Premier League experience uh, because that's kind of where the, his current strikers have fallen down. And I think he'll have a budget in about you know 15. 20 million quid. Okay, heading south again and uh, Southampton, Mauricio Pellegrino. Yeah, Southampton have sort of been, they're getting a bit close to that relegation zone. Um, they're only three points above at the moment. They're on a long sequence of, of poor results in the Premier League. They've also signalled that Virgil van Dijk might be allowed to leave if the money's right in this window, who would obviously have to be replaced. 
And there's a possibility, as Ian mentioned, that uh, Manchester City might take Ryan Bertrand from them. So um, I would expect them to, well, they're definitely looking for uh, new recruits and I would expect them to bring some in as well in the window. Ian, any insight into what's going on at Brighton? Well, Henry, Chris Hutton, the manager, has made it very clear um, on several occasions that they're looking to buy another striker in. Um, uh, the persistent injuries to Sam Baldock, who is a, more, a smaller frame, speedy striker, um, have curtailed the, the club's options up front. Uh, Glenn Murray and Tomer Hammond are very much um, big physical strikers who hold the ball up. Um, so I would, uh, I would expect Brighton to, to buy a striker in January. Duncan, why Hodgson at uh, Crystal Palace? Yeah, Roy's in the same boat as Claude Puel in that it's, it's the first opportunity to have a proper go at the transfer window. He's, you have to say he's done a, his usual um, great job of reorganising a team that were struggling, uh, play to a very simple system and start getting points on the board. Um, they're still close to the relegation zone. Um, and the survival is the absolute priority there. Crystal Palace have got a long history of spending money in the January window, usually to try and avoid relegation. And it's actually one of the reasons that the, the squad Hodgson's got is so poor, because they, they've bought a lot of players and paid them too much money as, uh, as emergency buys in January. Um, hopefully for them, Hodgson will be uh, more careful and who he recruits in January, but I would fully expect him to recruit. There's a lot of new managers at new clubs, and here's another one, David Moyes at uh, West Ham United. Uh, he'll definitely look to recruit, Henry. Um, look, the reason clubs sack managers in November and December is because they don't want to invest in their transfer window targets in January. They don't, they've lost faith in the manager's um, methods uh, or, his, or his ability to motivate the players he has, and they don't want to throw good money after bad. So, Moyes has galvanised um, that, that squad and they've had some good results. And he's certainly stabled the ship. Therefore, he's in a strong position to go to Sullivan and Gold and demand um, funds to, to replenish and indeed augment his squad. No doubt David Moyes will do that. I doubt it will be on the high end, though. Um, I don't think uh, Sullivan and Gold are, are quite in the mood to you know, splash out in £40, £50 million. Pounds. I think you look at medium level sort of 15 20 million pound players but i would suspect a central midfielder um a striker uh, and possibly a central defender as well another team beat that's, that's quite a lot another team beat last night um Bournemouth and eddie howe yeah it's an interesting test for eddie howe because he's kind of been the poster boy for young english coaches for a while not that long ago he was being talked of as the next arsenal manager they're heading in the wrong direction in the premier league um and Therefore, you want to see how he responds to that, how he recruits. They've, their policy of recruitment has pretty much been to sign younger, talented, uh, usually English players, um, at, with with lo with the long term in mind. You know, they they they've made a very uh, aggressive attempt to get the Mary Gray out of Leicester in the summer, which they failed on, uh, which was obviously a if you see the way Gray's been playing since he's got into the Leicester team, was obviously a very astute buy. I'm interested to see what he does, um, how he tries to, whether he tries to resolve that situation by throwing money at it, and whether he tries to go for a category of players that he would, that he hasn't been trying to buy previously and get a ready-made product who can, who can help turn things around for them. Ian, perhaps surprising to see Stoke as far down as they are. Um, on previous seasons, yes, Henry, that's true. I think this is a fascinating situation that we have here because. 
the chairman of Stoke has very recently said that the, the fans should not expect any new signings in January. Now, as I just made reference to, uh, clubs tend to sack managers before the January window because they don't want to invest in their, in their transfer uh, targets. But Stoke are historically not a sacking club. They've certainly kept patience with Mark Hughes while all around them have lost their heads and their jobs. And so, you know, apart from Newcastle United um, and Bournemouth, you've got Palace uh, uh, in, that, in that sort of section of the league just now. You've got Palace in 14 to change manager. You've got West Brom and Swansea on the, on the bottom. Swansea having just, again, sacked Paul Clement um, this week. Stoke have stuck with Mark Hughes. There's no suggestion that they've lost faith in them yet. Yet. Um, if they were going to buy in the, trans- in the January window, uh, sorry, if a new manager did come in in the next, say, seven days, he would want, definitely want to buy in the January window. They'd be forced to to put a hand in pocket for that. Or they stick with Sparky and don't spend any money and just hope that he can get them out of it. So I think that's one I'll keep an eye on in terms of just the whole scenario that's playing itself out at the Bet365 Stadium. Duncan, back up to the northeast and Newcastle. Yeah, it's a shame we didn't get Rafa's uh, Christmas letter. We could have had all kinds of uh, Yuletide facts. It may just have been a menu, Duncan. <laughs> That's very harsh. Um, I think I think we know what what uh, what Rafa is praying for, um, and he definitely wants uh, Santa with in the shape of a, a, a multi-million pound takeover to come into Newcastle and give him the money he's been for since he came into the club, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, if the takeover happens, I would fully expect him to, to be allowed to spend. And, and then we get an interesting insight into what he's capable of doing in the Premier League these days with money behind him again. Well, we can all imagine what Alan Pardew's dancing was like at the West Brom Christmas party. But what does he want for Christmas? Um, he certainly wants to spend, but... Um... Again, West Brom traditionally don't spend a lot of money in the January window, um, but I think they do need to. Um, they're short on goals. They're they're conceding um, uh, a bit too many as well. I mean, because that about every club, I guess, the other Manchester City, but uh, they do need to bolster defence. Um, they they probably, I think, will, will will not spend very much unless there is a key position um, that Pardew has indicated. Um, he certainly doesn't seem to be getting the best out of uh, Kravoviak, the Polish def- uh, midfielder who was bought in by Tony Pulis. Um, I think a lot depends on whether Johnny Evans uh, does join Manchester City, as, as we expect he might, or indeed move somewhere else, if not to Manchester City, which would generate funds, uh, which Pardew would quite rightly uh, say, well, that, I've got a bill to spend that. So um, keep an eye on Evans for, as being the catalyst for spending at the Hawthorns. OK, and finally, we know exactly what Swansea want. Um, and that's a new manager, but who, gentlemen, do we think it will be? Well, they need to they need to solve it quickly. Um, they finally decided to to push the button on Paul Clement, who's unfortunately whose naivety as a as a, a Premier League manager has been exploited by quite a few uh, opposition managers in recent weeks. I thought it was particularly obvious when he played Manchester City um, in the wake of several weaker teams using a, a, a packed defensive strategy and almost getting results. And, and he decided to, to try and play the ball out from the back and, and got hammered 4-0, the most uh, predictable outcome you can expect. So when they get their new manager in, which will need to be quick, they will obviously start throwing money at the transfer market to try and, sell, try and get themselves out of the, 
the big mess they're in at the moment. I think, Henry, Tony Pills is rightly the bookie's favourite and I would say that he is the man. He's the saving me from relegation specialist um, in English football. Whether or not you've got Swansea, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. He doesn't quite fit into the Swansea template, does he? Absolutely. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. But look, every club is looking at the fact that right now, in this period of, of the year between um, November and, and February, March, the next television deal is being negotiated. And with the likes of Netflix and Amazon entering the bidding, unbelievably, it's expected to be even bigger than the last one. So Premier League survival is absolutely crucial to keep on that gravy train. And Swansea may do short term, even if it's only for six months, bring in someone who doesn't play uh, possession-based, expansive football, and someone who could actually save the team club from going down in order to um, preserve their Premier League status and indeed the finances um, going forward. So I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, they made a lot of mistakes at Swansea City recently. Um, Bob Bradley, etc. Was a, was a dreadful error. Um, they've got to get it right, but I think get it right it, anyway for this for the next five months from January to, through to May and the end of the season uh, to stay in the Premier League. Uh, I think that should be the priority. I think there's a very interesting link to Louis van Gaal as a, as a mm. candidate for that job, which in one way makes a lot of sense in that the players they have and the, the type of football they've been playing is actually suited to the sort of hyper-defensive possession football that he liked to play at Manchester United and got so much criticism for. And it, it might that might just be a, a viable solution. It'd be interesting to see, certainly, how Van Gaal got on if he went into that club and was and implemented that style of football, whether you can save a team from relegation just sort of hanging on to the ball and, and hoping for a 1-0 um, now and again, rather than the Poulos method, which is just bring everyone back and hope for a 1-0 from set pieces or, or long balls. Um, he also did say in the week that the, the only club management he could see him going back into was the English Premier League because it would give him a chance to, to spite Manchester United, as he put it. Um, although he did say he would only go back for a big club, so maybe that rules Swansea out. OK, well, we've twisted the quickfire concept out of all recognition there, but all very interesting stuff. So thank you, gentlemen. What about yourselves? What, what, what are you two asking Santa for this year? Well, Henry, I can tell you that I would uh, love it, love it, love it if Santa brought peace and goodwill to all our lovely listeners. <laughs> you big soft lump. Indeed. <laughs> Duncan, you'd probably share um, the 1973 Brora with me, wouldn't you? I'd have a, I'd have a bottle of Brooke Laddie Black Arts. Oh, you can, you can have that one sent over from the Daily Record office anytime you like. <laughs> okay, well, I might, I might come along with it and, uh, and have a drink myself. Okay, uh, thank you, gentlemen, as always. Um, Christmas is upon us and the uh, holiday season is here. But there's no uh, holidays for the transfer window types because obviously the window starts, uh, opens in on January 1. So um, I'm certainly intending on being on the podcast next week. I take it you two gentlemen are before I say that you are? Absolutely. We shall try. We shall try. Depends how much whiskey I drink for Christmas. Okay. Well, <laughs> I've, I've almost uh, teed up uh, another one um, to join us in the shape of the one and only Graham Hunter. So... Um, it might be the first time all four of us have uh, 
argued with each other on the Transfer Window podcast. But it's that's something to look forward to. Uh, we've got a bunch of things lined up for January, which we'll uh, tell you about uh, when the time is good and ready. And until then, we wish all of you a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and a goodwill to all men and women. Toodaloo, the new.